Welcome to the Faith Community Church Podcast, a ministry of Faith Community Church in South Boston, Virginia. This week, we have a special guest with us to encourage you to deepen your faith in Jesus Christ. Well, thank you. Did I turn that thing on appropriately? Am I on there? Good. All right. Well, yeah, my name is Fred. Um, now, sometimes they'll ask for my bio. There it is, Malaysi. That, now, it, it should be Milachi, right? Uh, but when my grandfather came over from Italy and uh, to Ellis Island, uh, they actually, our name was Miliaccio, and uh, they anglicized the name, and that's what they came up with. It's a pretty name, but nobody in my 65 years of life has ever pronounced it correctly. So, uh, so and then sometimes they'll put on their Dr. Fred, uh, because I do have my doctorate, I work at Liberty, but I always tell people the doctor thing only means I had $30,000 of school loans. So that's all that means. So, uh, but I'll tell you the really important stuff. Um, my name is Fred, and uh, I've been married for, it was 44 years in, in October, and my wife's name is Tommy. Yes, that's her real name. And uh, we have six adult children, uh, and they're all married, and um, we, are, we have currently 15 grandchildren with 16 on the way in January, all right? In fact, uh, we just got back from Fredericksburg last night because we were, anybody grandparents here? Any grandparents here? Uh, is a whole lot better than being a parent, isn't it? Anybody agree with me on that? Uh, anyway, uh, we went up to one of our granddaughter's uh, plays and all that kind of stuff, so we came back uh, last night from that. But uh, yeah, we have, uh, until uh, back in September, it was kind of an interesting phenomenon because at, uh, until September when our latest grandson was born, uh, the end of September, at that point we had had seven men, seven women, seven grandsons, and seven granddaughters. And if you're into biblical numerology, that means we were the perfect family at that point, right? Uh, well, no, we're not. You already met me, and you know that's not the case. But uh, so we had, uh, but now we have uh, uh, eight grandsons, and then the ninth grandson is coming in January. So Christmas is a lot of fun at our house. Um, although, as you know, time has gone on, the kids have kind of moved in different places. We have two that still live in Lynchburg, uh, and then we have uh, two that live up near Charlottesville in Troy near Zion's Crossroad, one that moved to Mayock, North Carolina, and uh, one that lives up in Fredericksburg. So that's where we are, and uh, it's, it's a very, very good, wonderful life. Prior to coming to Liberty in 2003, uh, I was the pastor of the Messiah Baptist Church in Kylertown, Pennsylvania. Anybody ever hear of Kylertown? Of course you haven't, all right? <laughs> Here's the thing about Kylertown. It's not the end of the world, but you can see it from there, all right? And, and, and I grew up in Philly. Can you tell that? I'm a Northeasterner. I'm a Philly kind of guy. And so spending 21 years in rural Pennsylvania, I don't hunt. I don't fish. I got nothing against it. But come on, look at me. Do you think I'd be hunting? I mean, they give me a gun. That would not be a good thing, all right? Uh, but we were 21 years there. And then, we came, and then I got my degrees at Penn State at that time. And then we came to Liberty. And since then, since 2003, uh, most of the time I have been doing interim work, or we call it transitional work, uh, and I was telling Glenn that on the phone when we were chatting a little bit earlier this week. Uh, the last interim I did was up in Louisa, and I was there for almost three years, and it was an amazing experience. So we saw uh, something like, uh, I don't even really remember, something like 75 people joined the church, and uh, we baptized over 50-some people during that time, so it was a really amazing time. Since then, 
I've been working with my good friend Randy Spencer, who I believe has been here, and uh, I kind of backfill whenever he needs me to, uh, to come to churches like yours. So I've been all over the state of Virginia and into North Carolina the last couple of years to churches similar to yours uh, that are in the period of transition. And uh, you'll sometimes get uh, you know, speakers like myself uh, or you'll get student speakers, but uh, it's really, really a great experience for me. And I love coming to churches like yours for a couple of reasons. Number one, this, our church that I pastored in Pennsylvania was not a very large church. Uh, we maybe had 75, 80, 100 people at the most. When I first got there, there was under 20. But, uh, you know, this is actually the average size of church in, in, in the United States is under 100. I don't know if you know that or not, but most churches are about 75 or 80. And uh, so I appreciate churches like yours that are, are doing God's work here in, in small communities. So it's great for me to be with you today. Uh, how many of you like Christmas movies? Anybody like Christmas movies? All right, I do. Uh, our favorite is this great Christmas movie starring Bruce Willis called Die Hard. Anybody else like that movie? I mean, that's an awesome Christmas movie, I think. In fact, Die Hard 1 and Die Hard 2, but it, it's a great movie. Um, but, uh, but probably the most beloved Christmas movie is something called It's a Wonderful Life, right? And it starred Jimmy Stewart, who was from Pennsylvania, uh, and it was filmed in 1946, and it's the story, uh, it starred Jimmy Stewart and Donna, uh, Donna Reed, and it was the story of a guy named George Bailey, and you, you've seen it, I'm sure, you know, George Bailey uh, runs into some, he, he stays in this small town, has, if you've seen It's a Wonderful Life, you don't have to raise your hand because I don't want to embarrass you, but probably everybody has felt like George Bailey at some time or another, right? I can remember one line from that movie that my wife and I used to say all the time, why do we have to have all these kids, all right? And, uh, why do we have to have all these kids? But, but sometimes, like George Bailey, we kind of feel like life is passing us by and uh, everybody else is making progress and here we are kind of stuck in a rut until finally, through the help of an angel named Clarence, uh, uh, George realizes that he truly has a wonderful life. And, you know, that, that kind of makes you feel good, and it, it it's kind of reminds us of what things are really, really important and so forth. And, and that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. When I realized that uh, today was the second Sunday of Advent, and it was, uh, we were going to talk about peace in the ad, lighting of the Advent candle, when I think of uh, uh, that passage, Isaiah chapter 9, 6, and if you have your Bibles, please turn there, Isaiah chapter 9, and we're only going to look at two verses Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7. But what I want to talk to you about is why it really is a wonderful life based on this uh, passage. And it has to do with the focus of this passage, which we know, as we just read, is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 says this, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder." And his name will be called, and there's the word, Wonderful, or Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever the world uh, more, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform it. I like to uh, give my outline at the top of my message so you can follow me if you'd like to and also to help me keep on track. I tend to alliterate because I'm an illiterate. Think about that. You'll get that a little bit later on. 
Uh, but I'm going to give it to you why it's a wonderful life. Number one, from this text, it's a wonderful life because we've been given a wonderful present. Number two, it's a wonderful life because we also have a wonderful person. And number three, it's a wonderful life, not just because we have a wonderful present and a wonderful person, but because we have a wonderful promise. By the way, I am Italian, and if you tied my hands, I couldn't talk. So if Glenn comes up here in a little while and ties my hands, that's why you all know I'm time to be done, right? But also, I move around a lot, which is, uh, I also have to, I got to get my steps in. Anybody else want to get their steps in today? So I got to get my steps in and, wa and walk around a little bit, but that's what we do. Before we do, let's pray. God, thanks for this day, and thank you for this season. And we've already come to you and worshiped in song, Lord. We, we just are grateful to you for who you are and for this time of year. And Lord, we know that you were not born on December 25th, but it doesn't matter, Lord. It's a time for us to focus in on the greatest gift that has ever been given. And Lord, we are grateful to you for that gift. We're grateful to you that we can meet together in a way that we couldn't meet together last Christmas. Lord, we can worship you and fellowship with one another. And Lord, as we now focus on your word and worship you through the, the, the teaching and preaching of your word, I pray that you would guide me to be able to communicate that which you've given me and open our hearts and minds to receive that which you have for us. And should there be someone here that doesn't know Jesus as their Savior, Lord, may they come to know the greatest gift that's ever been given before it's everlastingly too late, maybe even this morning, in Jesus' name. Amen. We have a wonderful life because of a wonderful present. Now, in Isaiah's day, and I don't have time to read it, well, I'll tell you what, let's just go back to chapter 8 and look at the last couple of verses, 21 and 22. And, and what I want to tell you is, if you know anything about Isaiah, you'll know this, this was not a wonderful time for Isaiah and the people of Israel. It was not wonderful. In fact, it was anything but wonderful, as it says back in verse 21, they shall pass through it hard-pressed and hungry, and it shall happen that when they are hungry that they will be in rage and curse their king and their God and look upward, and they will look to the earth and see trouble and darkness, gloom and of anguish, and they will be driven into darkness. That doesn't sound too wonderful to me. It doesn't sound like they were having a wonderful experience at that time, and they were not. And again, if you know anything about the context of, the, of, of Isaiah, you know that he was writing during the time when the Assyrians were attacking. The Assyrians are the, uh, the same as the Ninevites who, who uh, Jonah, remember, Jonah didn't want to go to and didn't want to preach to the Ninevites. Why? Jonah, it wasn't because he was a racist. He hated the Ninevites and the Assyrians because they were terrible people. I mean, they make Al-Qaeda look like, uh, you know, like, uh, uh, like butterflies and rainbows, all right? They were bad news people, and they oppressed everyone and they and, and 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 so during Isaiah's day this was kind of the context in which they lived and so things were anything but wonderful and 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 so they needed some hope they needed some good news and yet when when all of this was going on God through the prophet Isaiah makes a promise to them he promises them a wonderful present did you see that for unto us a child is born Unto us a son is given. We often talked about the gift of salvation, and that's true. Salvation is a gift. It's something that is given to us freely. But really, the real gift is a person. Jesus is the gift. I don't think it's, it's, it's accidental that when, when the angels talk to, uh, 
uh, in, in, the, in the Christmas story in, in, in Luke chapter 2, when the, when the angels talk to the shepherds out in the field, it says, you shall find the babe, what? Wrapped in swaddling clothes and laying in the manger. What do we do with our Christmas gifts? We wrap them. We put them in wrapping and make them pretty. I don't do that very well, but, uh, you know, I do the best I can, but uh, I buy dollar store paper. I'm that cheap. But anyhow, uh, we, we wrap up our presents, and this gift was wrapped. The, the gift of present, which we'll talk about in a moment, Jesus, this, this child that has been given, was wrapped in, in swaddling clothes in a manger. And so I think it's interesting that Isaiah reminds us here, or tells us here, or predicts here, or prophesies here, that in spite of all the unwonderful things that were going to happen to the nation of Israel, and that were happening to them, there was a present, a wonderful present, that was promised. Uh, now, I don't know about Christmas. I, when you get to be my age, and again, I, I, I'm not making a big deal about it. But the thing is, you know, I've been around a while. I've had lots of Christmases. And, and there's not a whole lot you can, my wife or any of the kids can really get me anymore, right? First of all, if I want something, I usually buy it myself. And not that I'm, you know, super wealthy, but, you know, I mean, I don't have that much more longer to live. If I want something, I'm going to get it. I want to wait too long. I may not be here at Christmas time, right? Amen. And so I, I want to get it. And, you know, I just, you know, Amazon makes it so easy. And so I, I you know, I, you all heard of Amazon, Dan? You know, I'm just kidding you a little bit. You know, I just click the button and boom, it comes to my door. We went away. I mean, we were only going a day. We, we left on Friday, I think. Got back Saturday. I couldn't get in the front door because of all the boxes, right? And uh, so, so I can get what I want. But there have been times, you know, I'm a guy. I, I maybe didn't get what I wanted to get, or it didn't last very long, and so forth. And I kind of mope and pout a little bit about not having the Christmas I wanted to have, and so forth. Well, this gift will never disappoint. This is a gift, this is a present that will never disappoint. And I was thinking about this this morning as I was getting ready to come down here. And, and I was thinking about how, you know, oftentimes gifts don't turn out the way we want them. Life doesn't always go the way we want it to go. You know, families, relationships, kids don't always turn out the way we want them to turn out. You know, as a church, you've been without a pastor for a few months, and that's not too bad so far. But maybe, you know, the process isn't going as quickly as you want it to, and you're hoping that the, the pulpit committee gets moving. i got to tell you, it's uh, kind of tough during the holidays to, to make a whole lot of headway just looking for a pastor. And I'll tell you this, and I told Glenn I was going to say this, and see, Glenn, I'm not a liar. Um, uh, it's better to have no pastor than the wrong pastor. So you just pray and wait, and God will send you the right person, the right man in his time. But what I'm saying here is, is that, you know, it's easy, and some people at holidays, they get kind of down in the dumps because their life isn't turned out the way it is. And, and I get it, I understand that, but, but what I'd like us to do is focus on the, that no matter what's going on in our life, we have been given a wonderful present in the gift of Jesus Christ. The world has been given this wonderful present. And that should be enough. And, and, and for some reason, the Lord brought to mind a song that just came out this year from Elevation Worship and, and Maverick City Worship, and it's called Jaira. And I never really liked the song. It's kind of long. But I, I, a couple of the, the phrases came through to me, and I actually printed it off. I'm not going to read you the whole song. But it says that, that he said, then the song says, You are Jaira, you are enough. 
Jaira, you are enough, and I will be content in every circumstance. You are Jaira, you are enough, forever enough, always enough, more than enough, forever enough, always enough, more than enough. I, I counted, using the, the, the tool of word search find, in this song, they use the word enough 73 times. Now you say, they've lost it. No, repetition is a good way to learn. And I guess what I'm saying to you is that we need to keep in mind that no matter what happens at Christmas and the New Year or however long it takes for your pastor to come, whatever it is, we need to rehearse and be reminded that God is enough. He is enough. Now, if he gives us more, great. He gives us more, wonderful. We just came through Thanksgiving and and I've always thought it interesting that we have Thursday, a Thanksgiving is a Thursday, and it's a day in which we are to, to, to commemorate our gratitude. It's always followed by another day, Friday. And did you ever notice what that Friday is called? Black Friday? Have you ever thought about the interesting contrast that is? One day, Thursday, is a day of contentment. Black Friday is give me everything I want to get, right? It's an interesting contrast that we put the day of discontentment next to the day when we're supposed to be content. And I'm not saying it's wrong to go out shopping on Black Friday. What I'm saying is what's wrong is when we are discontented. And it's so easy to be, to be discontent. I mean, social media makes it so easy because you see other people's vacations. By the way, nobody, my mom used to say this, nobody sells bad fish. Nobody puts bad stuff on social media, all right? They're not going to tell you we had the worst vacation we ever had. It's always going to be the best. Even me, I have right of first refusal before anybody posts any picture of me on Instagram or Facebook, all right? Because if I want to look good on social media, I work hard looking this good, all right? And so I want the picture to turn out well. I don't want, I, you know, I don't want to know what, people to know what I really look like, right? And it's so easy for us to get sucked into this to this mentality in which we want more and we need more. And if you get nothing else out of this message this morning, I hope you get this, that when God gave us the greatest, most wonderful present in the form of the baby Jesus in the manger who grew up to be the, uh, who was and is and grew up to be the, the Savior that died on the cross, the Lamb of God that took away the sins of the world and rose again, he gave us all that we would ever need. He, and it should be enough. Should be enough. Secondly, so we have this wonderful present, but we also have a wonderful person. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son has been given, the government will be on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now, he is the God-man. And here's, a, here's a, uh, a quiz question I'll give you the answer to if it's ever asked. How much was, how, what percentage of Jesus was God and what percentage of Jesus was man? And most people want to say 50-50. Wrong answer. All right? You'd fail my class. Jesus was 100% God and 100% man. And that's the only time that I know that 1 plus 1 equals 1. Because Jesus was fully man. He got tired. He got hungry. 
The only difference between Jesus and everybody else was Jesus was not born with a sin nature. That's why it was important that he was virgin born. That's why it was important that the Holy Spirit conceived in Mary, because he was not born with a sinful human nature like you all were and like I am and, and I have. And I know it'll shock you, but I do sin. I'm sure it surprises you, but that's why I don't bring my family. I don't want you to hear about all that, all right? And, we all, and all those wonderful kids that we have, the grandkids, I love them all, but they're all sinners. But Jesus was fully God, fully man, without a sin nature. Now, when we look at that here in this text, we see that this wonderful is wonderful by nature. In the Old Testament, names had significance. They didn't just name people just any old name like we do today. You know, people say, oh, I like that name. It sounds really good. My latest grandson's name is uh, Kylan or Kai. And then the one that's coming, his name is Apollo. And, uh, and I actually named his middle name because we were down at the beach over the summer and found that it was going to be a boy. And they were like, we're going to call him Apollo. His last name is Rivera. And I'm like, well, what, they said, what do we, what's the middle name? I said, Apollo Prince. And I thought, that's a great name. And they are, I guess that's what they're going with. I mean... I, I don't even know what Apollo means except for Apollo Creed from the Rocky movies, all right? But, uh, it, but we just kind of pick names. But, but back in those days, names had significance. Now, our youngest daughter, her name is Karis, which is from the Greek word grace, and she was named intentionally and when every time, because she was a, a premature baby and it was a long, some stuff that had happened before that, and we deliberately picked that name. But my point is, in the Old Testament, when names were given, they, were, they, were, they had significance to them. And so here, when it says, his name shall be called, and it lists all these names, and the very first thing that it says about this gift is that he is wonderful. That's because everything about him, he is wonderful by nature. Your, uh, Sam, was that your name? Mark. M oh, Mark, okay. Uh, you probably, I don't know if you were around when this was around, but uh, maybe you heard of Sandy Patty. And she and Lauren L. Harris years ago did a song that'll still run shivers up your spine. It's called More Than Wonderful. Because Jesus is more than wonderful. Not just in name, his very nature was and is and always will be wonderful. And that's what Isaiah is reminding us here, telling us here. It's not just he's, he is wonderful in his characteristic and his nature um, as a person. Uh, now, you say, well, why does he have all these names? And there's a little discussion. Is his name Wonderful, comma, Counselor, comma, Mighty God, comma, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace? Could be, or some say he's called the Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. See how they're in couplets that way. I don't know if it matters, but why does he have all these names? Because, you know, he couldn't figure out who he was. No, because one name cannot fully describe this wonderful person. And if you think about it, that's true of all of us. So some people call me Dr. Malasi, and I am an ordained minister, and if I really want to throw my weight around sometime, I'll make sure I sign myself Reverend Doctor. That sounds really important, okay? And then, you know, uh, I, you know, but do you think my kids or my grandkids or even my wife calls me Doctor? Yeah, that's not happening. All right? Uh, all my grandkids called me Poppy because that's the Italian name for grandfather. And my wife, 
you know, sometimes she calls me honey and sweetie, sometimes other things, right? <laughs> and, you know, I, I mean, we all have different names because we all, because one name doesn't fully contain who we are. And in the same way about this wonderful person, Jesus talks about him being Savior, but he's way more than just the Savior. I mean, he's an example. He's the God-man. He is perfect. He is sinless. He is the healer. Uh, I mean, all of these names describe or help us get a, a better picture, fill out, if you will, the vision of who this wonderful person really was and is. And that's why all these names are here. Now, I don't know what comes to your mind when you hear the word wonderful, but I just jotted down a few things. Marvelous, astounding, great, fantastic, awesome, and antonyms. Awful, lousy, pathetic. And I don't know, but wouldn't it be a good, good use of our time in the Christmas season just to pause once in a while and think just about how wonderful Jesus was and is? that he really is wonderful and celebrate and honor the fact that he is wonderful and that he was so wonderful that he gave his life so you and I could be saved. And that's what Isaiah is reminding us of here. Um, I also think when I think about the word wonderful, as you could tell, I, I, I think words have meaning and I like to kind of just think about them. And wonderful, you know, we use it in this sort of adjective sort of way. But I also think you could take the word wonderful and take it apart, especially at Christmas time, because kids are usually full of wonder. And so when we think about Jesus, we should be filled with wonder of who he is and what he has done. Now, the term, if, uh, term wonderful, if you trace it through Scripture usually or often it's associated with God himself. And I just jotted down a couple of scriptures. You can take them or leave them. For instance, in Job chapter 42, verse 3, you may all know the story of Job, right? And uh, Job, you know, was a good guy. Bad stuff happened to him. Satan, or God allowed Satan to do that to him. And his three friends uh, came by and, and, they, and people were judging him and saying, you know, you're being punished. We Christians do that, by the way. We judge people. We don't know the whole story. We make judgments based on that. That's free. It won't cost you any more. Uh, but anyway, we, they, his friends judged him. They were wrong. And, you know, Job goes off kind of talking about and complaining about his situation. And God lets him go on for like 40 chapters. And then God shows up. And God, you know, I, would, I, I, I hope there are video archives in heaven because I really want to see this scene. <laughs> Because I want to see what happened when, when, Job, when God comes to Job and says, Hey, dude, I'm from Philly, that's one way I talk, right? Hey, dude, what are you doing? And then, you know, God says, Were you here for this, this, this? And he goes through this whole litany of stuff and basically puts Job in his place. And then Job says this. He says, I have uttered things that are too wonderful for me. I think we could all take a piece from that page there. We speak of things we shouldn't speak of sometimes. We say things that we don't have a right to say. Even singing some of the songs that we sing, not that we shouldn't sing them, but I think sometimes, and I'm guilty of this, I won't judge you on this, I don't know you enough to judge you, 
But uh, if you're human, you probably do this. We'll sing songs just like we just did for, you know, at the, before, uh, before I come up and speak this, this morning. We sing words. We don't think about them. They're just words. You know, it's Sunday. We're here. You know, the worship team's up here. We sing. I think it's good to kind of think about what we're singing. Because we're uttering things that maybe are too wonderful for us to utter. At least too wonderful us to utter for us to utter without thought. Without taking pause. Now, I'm Italian. I'm an extrovert. Can you tell? Uh, I'm a talker. And I promise you, many times in my life, I, my mouth gets way ahead of my brain. But thankfully with age, I've begun to be a little bit more thoughtful about what I say. And so it's important that we learn from Job. Psalm 139, verse 6, God's omni-attributes, all of his omni-attributes, there are two wonderful. Isaiah chapter 28 and verse 24 says, God is wonderful in counselor. In counsel, excuse me, Psalm 119, 129. Psalm 119 is the longest psalm, in the, the longest chapter in the Bible. It's all, every verse in that psalm is about the Word of God. In the verse uh, 129 of Psalm 119, I believe it is, yes, it says, God's Word is wonderful. Do you ever think about that, that this book is wonderful? Probably we don't think about it. You know why? Because we have so we have you know we have tons of printed copies. We can pull out our phone. You know we can look at it. We can look at it in a screen. We just kind of take it for granted, folks. All you got to do is not have it have this accessible, and you begin to realize how wonderful this book really is. It changes people's lives. His word is wonderful. So he's wonderful. And, and Psalm forty uh, talks about how his works are wonderful. Now. So he's wonderful by nature, but he's also full, but wonderful by name. Look at these words, these names of his. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Nothing about Jesus is dull or uninteresting. Everything about him is exciting and interesting. He is wonderful. He is a wonderful counselor. Here's a verse. When I first found out we were going to have our first child 43 years ago, I guess it's been now, I, you know, I didn't know much, but a verse came to my mind that I've prayed almost every day since that day. James 1.5, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. I mean, seriously, I was 21, 22. I don't remember how old I was at the time. But imagine giving this guy at 22 years of age a child. That doesn't make any sense. Most parents are not prepared. And so I, I, I remember praying God to God for wisdom. And so as we read about Jesus this Messiah being the wonderful counselor, we know that we can go to him for wisdom. If you lack wisdom, go to him. And may I say to you, in your context as a church in transition, you should be going individually and collectively to God every day asking him for wisdom. And you should be praying for your pulpit committee, your search committee, that they would have wisdom that they would know and sense God's leading in their life and, and your lives as well, so that when, because here, maybe you haven't thought about this, but God already knows who's coming next. Did you know that? It's not going to be one day you get a letter and you guys vote on them and the God's going to say, well, isn't that interesting? They chose Pastor so-and-so. No, God's already got him picked out. God's already working in his heart now. Did you know that? 
But, but how are you going to discern that? Well, you have to go to him for wisdom. He is the wonderful counselor. He will guide you as a church in these decisions. Not only that, he is the mighty God. And that emphasizes his power. His power to ex execute his plans. Thirdly, he is the everlasting father. Father as the originator of eternal life. He is the source of eternity and, uh, and, and all things eternal. Now, I don't know if you think about this kind of stuff. I do. I think about eternity. I think about God's eternity. And, I, and for me, and this is just me, I have no problem conceptualizing the fact that God is eternal and that he never ha will have an end. I mean, I can't really explain it, but my brain can think about, okay, God will just go on out through time. Here's the brain twister for me. How did God never have a beginning? I mean, even if God was around for like 10 billion years, like supposedly the earth has been around, all right? Uh, even if he was, eventually he had to have a beginning. But here's my, where my logic steps in. Well, if God's not eternal, something has to be eternal. Something always had to be. And you can think what you want, but for me, it's much easier to believe that there's a divine being we call God that is eternal rather than just matter that just sort of existed forever and, and somehow everything sort of came together by happenstance. And I don't want to get into a scientific debate. I'm not a scientist. Just to me, logically, the only thing that makes sense is there has to be a being that's eternal whose name is God. He is the wonderful counselor. He is the uh, mighty God. He is the everlasting Father. And he is the Prince of Peace. And that was what this candle was about this morning. Did you ever think about, are you, are you aware of how much peace uh, how Jesus is associated with peace? When he was born, when the angels appeared to the shepherds, they said, what did they say to him? They said, glory to God on the highest and on earth, what? Peace, goodwill to men. Here he is called the Prince of Peace. Uh, Romans chapter 5, verse 1 says, we are justified by faith and we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It says in... Uh, uh, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14, that Jesus is our peace and has made us one. There should be no division in the body of Christ because we are all one in Christ. I've never met any of you before. I don't know any of you. And depending on how things go today, we may never see each other again because you'll say to Spencer, no matter what, don't bring that Italian back here. All right, that's good. I'm fine with that. But guess what? I'm going to heaven, and if you are too, better get used to me because I'm going to be there. Now you just have to hope that we don't live in the same neighborhood or something, all right? But there should be no divisions. I mean, we live in a divided country right now. And it's sad. You know, I prayed earlier that, you know, thank, thank the Lord we're not where we were last year. But, but things like masks and vaccines and politics and all of that still are not only dividing our country, churches are divided. But folks, Jesus is the bond that brings us together and we should be able to agree to disagree if we all know Jesus as our Savior. We don't have to agree on everything, but we should be at peace with one another because he is our peace. 
John 14, verse 27 says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I have given to you, not as the world gives. Let not your heart be troubled. And then, I mean, I have so many more here, but I'll just give you the last one. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known unto God. And what's the next verse said? Exactly. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and mind through who? Our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, this candle, this wasn't just like, oh, what are you going to do the second Sunday of Advent? Hey, I got it, peace. No, everything about Jesus is about peace. It's ironic because to many people, he is a great divider, but he came to be peace. Oh, one more. You're, I'm not going to let you get away this easy. It says in, in Romans chapter 12, as much as it is in you, live at peace with all people. Be peaceable. Wearsby puts it this way, and then I'm going to move on to the last one. He says, Jesus, has, Jesus being wonderful, he is the cure for the dullness of life. As the counselor, he helps us with the decisions of life. As the mighty God, he helps us with the demands of life. As the everlasting father, he helps us with the dimensions of life. And as the prince of peace, he helps us with the disturbances of life. He is a wonderful person. Me? Jury's still out. Jesus? He is a wonderful person. Finally, because we have a wonderful present in the form of a wonderful promise, we have a wonderful person, we have a wonderful promise. You know, my wife and I were talking about this for some reason. I mean, we always like holidays, but this year she's been on like holiday mojo overload. Like Thanksgiving, man, I mean, I'm gonna have to work a month to pay for Thanksgiving, all right? You know, we, we, we had so much food. Luckily, we had, you know, the older you get, I don't know about the rest of you, the older you get, every pound seems like it takes a month and a half to get off, all right? And so we were really working hard so we could come into the holiday and, and, and not look like Santa Claus, you know? And, and uh, so we, we had Thanksgiving, and, and then, you know, only two-thirds of the family came in. We only had 21, but we still had lots of food. That's, that's true. Uh, but, you know, we, we had Thanksgiving, and now, you know, I mean, I told you all the stuff's coming in at the door. I, my solution would be, let's just give everybody money and be done with it. No, no way she's doing that. You know, we got to buy the kids special things that, you know, that they want and so forth. Great. But we're all excited about the holidays and about Christmas, and there's excitement. And there's excitement here. Did you see what it says? The government shall be on his shoulders. I don't want to get into any conversation about the government, all right? All I know is it doesn't matter who you are. You either love the government now and hated it last year, or you loved it last year and you hate it now, or you hate all government. But the fact is, one day there's going to be a government with a, with that's going to be on the shoulders of the Prince of Peace, and it's going to be perfect. And that's something to look forward to. The government will be on his shoulders. He can handle it. Now, 700 years after Isaiah wrote, Jesus came. And of course, 
The Jews thought he was, going to in, he, he was going to institute his government, but it didn't happen. We know that it's yet to come. And so that's the promise we look forward to. That one day, he will come back and rule and reign. But in the meantime, we should allow this wonderful person to govern our lives. We should ask him to lead us and guide us. And again, as I've said already, that's to me so appropriate and so applicable to you as a church. Don't let your own agenda, your own desires, your own preferences get in the way. Say, God, we seek your face. We want you to govern. Remember, this is not the elders' church. This is not the former pastor's church. It's not the future pastor's church. It says in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus said to Peter, Upon this rock I will build whose church? My church. It's his church. It's his church. And he should be governing it. As we put our faith in it. In his governance, we then have a wonderful life. I'm living proof of that. My life's not been perfect. We've had lots of stuff happen. I'm certainly not perfect, but you know what? I think back, I got no regrets. You know why? Because God has given me truly a wonderful life. I mean, it's amazing. When I got my doctorate at Penn State in 2003, I never would have imagined 19 years later I'd be in a town I never heard of, South Boston, Virginia, preaching in a, in a former whatever this was, uh, I'm not making fun, I'm just saying whatever this building is, to people I've never met. But you know what? It's awesome. I love coming to, to meet new people and coming to new churches and seeing what God's doing. In small ways and in big ways, it's awesome. I didn't do this. God's the one that gave me a wonderful life. Not a perfect life. Not a stress-free life. Hey, I want to tell you about Saturday, Friday. I'll just tell you a little bit about it, because, you know, again, you may never have me back, which is okay, if that's all right with you. Anyway, I mean, I found out that I had scratched my car. I found out that I, I, my washing machine was leaking. I had too much work for a Friday to go. We were supposed to go away. Things were piling up, and I was, you know, getting ready to lose it. And I'm like, you know what, Lord? My life is wonderful. Take a chill pill, Malaysia. God is good. God is good. And I suspect that pretty much all of us would have to say the same thing. We've got a wonderful life. Just like George Bailey figured out. Why do we have a wonderful life? Because we have been given a wonderful present. Unto us a child was born. Unto us a son has been given. He's been wrapped up in swaddling clothes put in the manger. And that wonderful present is a person, a wonderful person, wonderful by my nature and wonderful by name, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. And because of this wonderful present in the form of a wonderful person, we have a wonderful promise and a wonderful future. And guess what? That's what this table is all about, isn't it? I didn't forget that. This table that we're going to partake of in just a moment, reminds us that 
that wonderful person provided us with a wonderful life, but it came at a high cost. His body was beaten and broken. His blood was shed so that you and I could experience the forgiveness of sin and eternal life and holiness because of what he did, which what we see represented in the elements of the Lord's table. And so this morning, in just a moment, when we get ready to partake of these elements, I want you to think about that. That that's not just a cracker. That represents the body that was broken of a wonderful person for you. And that cup, it's not just grape juice or wine or whatever you guys serve here. That drink reminds us that he shed his blood for you so you could have eternal life. That's pretty amazing. No, it's wonderful. It's wonderful. Let's pray. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, as we get ready to come to the Lord's table in just a moment. Two things. Number one, if you die today, are you sure that you'd go to heaven? You see, this, this table reminds us that there's only one way to heaven, that it's through the, the blood that was shed by Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. And if you've never asked Jesus to come into your heart, never asked him to forgive you of your sins, you've never asked him to be your savior, then it doesn't matter how good you are, it doesn't matter whether or not you go to church, what matters is, have you accepted him as your Lord and savior of your life? And if not, you need to do that today. And you can speak to me or speak to one of the elders or one of the leaders in our church here this morning. But don't, don't leave this building. Don't, don't walk into the Christmas season without knowing beyond a shadow of doubt, doubt that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. Christian friend, I, I get it. Life's complicated. Life's hard. But at least we can take a pause and from all of our problems and just let's pause and just let's reflect about how wonderful our Lord and Savior really is. So wonderful, in fact, that he went to the cross and had his body broken and his blood shed so that you and I could experience forgiveness of sin and eternal life. Lord Jesus, as we come to this table, we thank you. And really, Lord, we stand in wonder at your wonderfulness. Lord, we ask that as we partake of this bread and drink of the cup in a few moments, we, we thank you for what you have done. And I thank you for what you're going to do in the life of each person here and in this church. And Lord, may we come with grateful hearts, appreciative of all that we have received from you, because you have truly given us a wonderful life. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to ask the elders to come forward. And as you probably know, um, as I've already mentioned, uh, the bread represents the broken body of the Lord Jesus Christ, the cup, his blood that was shed. If you know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you are invited to partake of these. You should, though. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, examine your heart. Examine your heart and come in a, in a worthy manner. None of us are worthy. But if there's sin in our heart, in our life, then we need to confess it or 
let the elements pass. I don't know these guys, but I'm pretty sure they won't judge you. But it's better, just like I said, it's better to have no pastor than the wrong pastor. It's better to pass the elements than to partake of them in an unworthy manner. That's not what Fred says. That's what God's holy word says. Let's look to the Lord in prayer and ask and give him thanks for this bread. Lord, thank you for your broken body, which has broken for us. And Lord, we just, we just have no other words than to say thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Paul says in the book of 1 Corinthians that it says, for I received of the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that on the same night in which Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and broke it. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. I'm going to read a poem to you while Mark plays. It's called, Twas the Night Before Jesus Came. Was the night before Jesus came and all through the house, not a creature was praying, not one in the house. The Bibles were laying on the shelf without care in hopes that Jesus would not come there. The children were dressed to crawl into bed, not one ever kneeling or bowing their head. Mom in a rocker with a baby in lap was watching the late show while I took a nap. When out of the East there arose such a clatter, I sprang to my feet to see what was the matter. Away to the window, I flew like a flash, tore open the shutters, and threw up the sash. What, what to my wondering eyes should appear but angels proclaiming that Jesus was here? With a light like the sun sending forth a bright ray, I knew in a moment it must be the day. The light of his face made me cover my head. It was Jesus returning, just like he said. And though I possess worldly wisdom and wealth, I cried when I saw him in spite of myself. In the book of life which he held in his hand was written the name of every saved man. He spoke not a word as he searched for my name, and when he said, it's not here, my head hung in shame. The people whose names had been written with love, he gathered to take to his Father above. With those that were ready, he rose without a sound, while all the rest were standing around. I fell upon my knees, but it was too late. I had waited too long and thus sealed my fate. I stood and I cried as they rose out of sight. Oh, if only I had been ready tonight. I hope that's not anyone here today. Paul continues in 1 Corinthians, he says, and after this, in the same manner, he also took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he comes. We have a wonderful Savior. And we're going to close with a wonderful song. Thank you so much for listening. To learn more about Faith Community Church, you can find us online at fccsobo.org or on our Facebook page by searching Faith Community Church. As always, God loves you, we love you, and we hope you have a wonderful week.